Well, good afternoon, everyone. We are continuing in our series looking at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, a list of characteristics that will be present in an increasing way in the lives of those whom God has saved through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, if this was a Wikipedia article about Christians, and there was a little subsection that said, how do you spot a Christian? There'd be a little list underneath that says, so you'll spot these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are up to characteristic or fruit number seven faithfulness and I apologize in advance if I call it fruitfulness in the murkiness of my brain I have not been able to get those two words separated but I'll do my best faithfulness so let's start with a definition what is faithfulness here's what one Christian writer says faithfulness seems to describe the reliability of a Christian man or woman Another Christian writer says, faithfulness reflects the believer's loyalty to his master, just as Jesus Christ himself was faithful to his father's will. Or if you're not a a word person, let me give you a picture. Nine and a half years ago, I stood at the front of a church, not too dissimilar to this, in front of a crowd of people, of friends and family, and I made promises to a young woman who, for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, had agreed to marry me. And I promised to her to be faithful to her, for better, for worse, whether we are rich or poor, in sickness or in health, I will love and cherish you from this day forward, according to God's holy word, till death parts us or Jesus comes again. This is my promise. Faithfulness is keeping promises keeping a covenant and by God's grace Libby and I though not perfectly have remained faithful to one another for nine and a half years faithfulness often looks like a healthy marriage so what is faithfulness loyalty reliability promise keeping and perhaps one more idea for us to to throw into the mix the idea of fulfilling your calling doing what you're supposed to do if a flower if we could describe a flower as faithful it is because it not only grows a stem but it grows a bud and then that bud opens out into a flower it fulfilled its calling if a choir is to be faithful they must sing I want us to keep those categories in mind as we further explore the question of faithfulness through the the parable that Karen's just read to us. But let me throw one more thing into the mix, and that's this. When Paul writes to the church in Galatia and describes these characteristics of Christians, it's not a mistake that he uses the word faithful rather than loyal or reliable when the bible speaks about the life of a follower of jesus it talks about somebody who has has been changed has been transformed is not what they once were 
in Jesus' words, somebody who has been born again. And somebody who is, therefore, full of faith. Faithful, full of faith. There is a Godward direction to the activity and character of a Christian. That what they do and what they say and what they think is directed firstly and foremostly at God. Believing in him. Believing in what he has said. It's a loyalty that is loyal to God and then to others. And so we go back to the parable. This parable that Jesus tells about a master and his servants. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. A few verses later, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. As Jesus tells the story, we can sit ourselves in the, the shoes or the seats of those servants. They've been entrusted a role. They've been given. He has shared, the master has shared his wealth with them. So they can put it to work. So they can earn him more money. But he's away for a long time. And you can just imagine the, as the, the days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into maybe years. Will he ever come back? Or is this it? The next day, the next week, as things get harder or better. It becomes more normal to think, well, this is it. This is how life is now. There's a, a, a character in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings who is a steward. Somebody who has got taken charge of a kingdom because the king has gone. And the steward of the kingdom, Denethor, becomes so entrenched in his role as number one because the king is nowhere to be found. That when the king returns in all of his goodness and all of his splendour and glory, he wants nothing to do with the king. And maybe, just maybe, these servants could do the same as they wait and wait. But they are, or at least two of them, are faithful. They believe that something will happen in the future which, which impacts today. They have faith, what the Bible describes in Hebrews chapter 11, as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not yet see. And these servants have, at least two of them, a loyalty to their master, even though he's not in the room, even though he's far away. They have a loyalty that is driven by the thought of what is to come and a loyalty that is given because of the love they have received from their master. Remember, he entrusted his wealth to them. Let's look at those two things. A loyalty driven by what's to come. And a loyalty given because of what has been received. A loyalty driven 
by what's to come. This parable comes in a series of parables and teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And he's setting their expectations for, for what is to come. And how that should shape their decisions now. In the same way that if you were of a certain age, and probably still true, if you watch Blue Peter... And they would be making something and they would show you the finished product beforehand. When I was growing up, the, the number one Christmas present was the, the Tracy Island Thunderbirds. So a few knowing nods. But they would show you this. Here's one we made earlier. And they do that to, to excite you and go, oh, this is possible. I could have one of those. And Jesus is showing this to his disciples through these parables and his teaching. And he's seeking to to motivate them by letting them know what is to to come. And so the first parable that Jesus tells immediately before this tells them that they are to keep watch. And in this one, he tells them to get to work. And what is the reward that he sets out in front of them? As he tells the parable, he says, be like these two servants, the one who gets the five bags of gold and the one who gets the two bags of gold. Get to work and then look at the reward when the master returns. And he comes and he sees what you've done and he is pleased. And he says, well done. Look forward to that commendation from the master. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Those who show themselves to be trustworthy in small things will be entrusted with more. It's almost as though Jesus is setting out a ladder before his disciples and says, Grow, go up, go bigger, go better. For there is reward. In relationship with your master. And that is the the pattern of faith. Trusting that doing our part now. Doing what is right and good now. Will lead to better things in the future. This is as Hebrews 11. We've already mentioned it. Says this is what the ancients were commended for. We're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 11 now. Hebrews chapter 11 is the greatest story chapter in the Bible. Retelling the stories of the great men and women in Bible history and showing how there is one theme that connects them all. That they looked to God and they believed and they acted in accordance. It is the the hall of faith. And in it we find men and women who are so convinced that to go God's way even if it was hard in the moment, was better and was best. And I'm so excited to dive into Hebrews 11 with you. So let's do it. If you've got a Bible, Hebrews is towards the end of the the Bible. It's a, a sermon. We don't know who wrote it. But in Hebrews 11, we find Noah. Here's what it says in verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By, fa- by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. 
Noah has to build an ark, a boat, and nobody else around him is doing anything because nobody can see what is coming. But God has said, this is what you need to do. And presumably Noah was mocked. But he was looking ahead. And he was trusting that what God had said would come to pass. And he was trusting that it was better to receive mockery and to put all this energy into something that seemed ridiculous because, because there's something better ahead. Or oh, next up is Abraham. Verses 8 through to 10 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He left his home. He went to a place that he didn't know, with all of its unfamiliarities, and he made his home a temporary home. He settled, but always aware that this was a temporary existence, but trusting that one day God would make a home for him that isn't a tent, isn't temporary, but is a city with great walls that would stand forever. And God would do that. And so God said, go. And Abraham said, yes. And then he said, where? And it's uncomfortable and awkward and difficult. And yet he went because he was looking forward. Or consider Moses. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses is born into one people and then is adopted into another people, a people who are over the first people, a people who have wealth and he's brought into the royal family. It's the, the Pharaoh's daughter who finds him in the reeds. And he has the opportunity for a good life with treasure and wealth and success fitting in at the top of every social tree. And yet, as Moses looks ahead, he thinks and he listens to what God has promised. That ultimately the best place to be is in God's plans. Even when... Even when God's plans for God's people at right at that moment looked like being enslaved. Being forced into labour. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. And we could go on. We could spend the next few hours or the next few days turning the pages of the Bible and then delving to the history books of the, the church and listening to the words and watching the lives of Christian men and women across the last 2,000 years who have lived looking ahead to what is to come and taking decisions that are harder and more difficult today because they believe that tomorrow is better because that is what God has promised. 
men and women and boys and girls who have looked in Hebrews 11 language for the city that is to come, for a country that they can call their own, for a true home. Let me give the author to the Hebrews the the final word on this. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Men and women looking ahead into the distance and saying, God has promised that sometime, somewhere, right over there, there is a great and glorious future. And the things that this world offers do not compare to what is to come. They looked around at today's circumstances and the things offered by this world and they said, this is not it. This is not it. And so they looked forward. Loyalty or faithfulness is driven by what is to come. And the Bible says that what is to come is that Jesus Christ, who has come to this earth once, will return. And will renew and restore all things. That we have got to stop trying to make heaven now. Because heaven is to come when Christ returns. But notice also, loyalty is driven by what's to come in the future, but loyalty is also given by those who have received God's love, who have seen God. Let me go back to another character in Hebrews 11. To a lady called Sarah, the wife of Abraham who we talked about a few minutes ago verse 11 of Hebrews 11 says this by faith even Sarah who was past childbearing age in her 90s was enabled to bear children listen to this because she considered him faithful who had made the promise she considered God faithful who had made the promise that she would give birth to a son In her very old age. And she looks at God and says, God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Loyalty is given. Faithfulness is worked by those who have received the love and the goodness of God. Who have seen the faithfulness of God. And Sarah joins those dots for us. Who is it that we are serving? In the parable, we're not told much about the master. We see his response. But we get this little snippet that he shares his wealth with his servants as he goes off. There is a a generosity. There is a love and a kindness there in the master. And that is what God is like. 
last year here at REC. Some of you weren't part of the church then. Uh, we did a, a series, Ian Jones, uh, one of our, our, our pastors, preached to us a series on the astonishing kindness of God. The hesed is the, the Hebrew word. And if you weren't here then or if you've forgotten, it's worth going back to our website and, and listening to it. I was listening to some of it this week and it's, it's so helpful. And we began that series by looking at Exodus chapter 34. Exodus is the story of God bringing his people out of slavery, a story of rescue, a story of redemption. And in Exodus 34, we find God revealing his very name and his very heart and his very character to Moses. And Ian painted for us the the, the background picture to, to that event. It's a a broken marriage where one partner, the Israelites, had been totally unfaithful to the other, to God. The Israelites who had betrayed and doubted and failed the God who had loved them, who had rescued them, who had called them, who had promised them a land of their own, a home. A God who had taken them out of slavery, had rescued them from those who were over them. And then because there wasn't much food and because things were more difficult than they'd anticipated, they they had turned their back on God. They had shown their love to others, not to God. But in the face of that betrayal, this is what God says. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. A God who is overflowing in faithfulness. This, who, this is who God is, a God who is consistently, persistently, beautifully faithful. He always does what he says that he will do. And he has shown his faithfulness to his people over and over and over again. And ultimately, he shows us his faithfulness because Christ comes. The Christ who has been promised from the very early pages of the Bible. That God will send a man. The seed of Adam and Eve. Who will come and will defeat the one. The the enemy, the devil, the one who will come and restore and redeem and save and rescue. And God keeps that promise and every promise. God is overflowing in faithfulness. Faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, faithful to his own character. If God was a a piece of seaside rock, no matter where you chopped him up, you would find faithfulness written large. God doing what is right over and over and over again. Never changing his mind, never giving up, never tiring, never weary. No matter where you cut history, you will find the evidence that God is faithful just pause for a minute and reflect on that truth in your own life 
whatever's going on for you right now. God is faithful. God is a faithful husband to a wayward bride. The book of Hosea in the Bible brings out this picture to show God's faithfulness amongst the backdrop of the horrors of the unfaithfulness of his people. God calls a man, a prophet called Hosea, to live out the spiritual story of God and his people in his own family. We're told about the adulterous wife. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers. God paints this picture about the reality of our sin. We are unfaithful to God. And it's grim. And it's awkward and difficult to to read. This is how God sees some of our sin. Spiritual adultery. But listen, what he goes on to say, this is again in Hosea chapter 2. God says, therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And he goes on to say, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In the, the, the face, the bare-cheeked face of our spiritual adultery, God says, I will win you back. I will show you kindness beyond measure. And I will bind you to myself. This is what the Lord has done for his people. And he has done it through the Lord Jesus. He has brought back an unfaithful people to himself. God is faithful. And we, without the work of God, are faithless. But then God works. God doesn't only just save us, but then he infuses us with power. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the people of God so that they will produce faithfulness. They will be able to, by God's help, be faithful. Like a wife in a marriage or a husband in a marriage. Loving and keeping the promises that they have made. And they see the great love. And we should see the great love that God has shown to us. And then for joyfully give our faithfulness to God. So let's ask the question then, well, what does that look like? Pursuing faithfulness, our final point. I think we'd all recognise that loyalty and faithfulness is a good thing. I think we all want to be more faithful. In all sorts of ways and in all sorts of relationships. But as Christians, are we looking ahead to what is to come? Are we allowing what God has said will happen? Christ's return. The new heavens and the new earth. Are we letting that shape our faithfulness today? 
Are we remembering that God is faithful? Are we inspired and encouraged by that? And what does faithfulness look like? Well, there are a limitless number of answers to that. But let me give a few sort of headlines. Faithfulness does not always look like success. We could dip back into Hebrews 11 and see the list of what happens to to those who show faith. They are martyred, they are stoned, they are sawn in two. Faithfulness does not always look like success. And faithfulness is, is not comparable to other people. We can't look round at other people and go, what does faithfulness look like? Because it'll look like different things for different people. So let's go back into the parable that Jesus tells. He gives five bags of gold to one man. He gives two bags to another and one bag to another. According to their ability. And he doesn't look at the man who has two bags and produces another two and go, meh, it's all right. No, both to the one who has two and the one who has five. On his return, he says to them both, well done, good and faithful servant. God expects us to be faithful with what he has given us. He doesn't expect the same outcome from every person. He expects us to fulfill the calling that he has given to us. And to some that is to be married. And to some that is to be single. And for some that is to have wealth. And for some that is to have little wealth. Fill in all the different blanks for our own lives. God looks at each of us and says, be faithful with what I have given you. Faithfulness is a marriage thing. It's also a membership thing. Many of us here are members of this church and we have signed up. We have committed ourselves to one another. Are we aware of what our calling is, what we've agreed to? It's been good for me to read the words of our marriage vows again this week. I probably ought to do it more often. But similarly, as members of this church... Are we aware of what we have committed and covenanted together to do? We can give you a copy if you'd like one. I think it'd be good for us to refresh our hearts and our memories so that we might be faithful. And faithfulness is, it's often about the small things. There's one concrete example in the the New Testament of faithfulness. You can read it in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. Paul right into a a church in Corinth. He says this, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. And what he's saying to them is, when we said yes, we meant yes. And when we said no, we meant no. He's talking about being truthful. Speaking with integrity. Or as Jesus says... Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Faithfulness looks like doing what you say and saying what you do. In all the tiny little ways that we do things, we interact with one another and with other people. 
Are we faithful in our words? We could, like I say, look at a million more examples. Perhaps God's already pushing on your own heart where you have not been faithful. And even now we need to turn and repent of that and trust in the forgiveness that is ours when we confess our sins to God. And then we need to get on with being more faithful. But as we finish, let's look forward to that day which is surely coming, when Christ will return and he will gather his people to to himself. Or the day before that, when we will pass out of this life through death and we will go to be with Christ. This is what Christ will say to his people. Those who have persevered, those that have been faithful in a million small ways, whether anybody else knows it or not. These are the words that God, Jesus puts on the, in the mouth of the master in his parable. He receives them back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. When the Bible paints the pictures of the end times, at the centre of everything is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. Nobody will be in any doubt anymore that Jesus is the king of the world. There will be no agnostics. There will be no atheists because everybody will see Christ. And they will see that the truth that God has made this world. And that God has entered into this world to save this world. And that the future from then on out is Christ reigning and his people reigning with him. And Jesus will be at the centre of it all. And yet, and yet, in the middle of all that, Jesus is going to look into the eyes of his people and say, I just want to say, well done. He's going to take the spotlight off him in some way and just put it on his people and go, well done, good and faithful servants. That is an incredible thing because we know ourselves and we know our weakness and we know our failure and we see a little of how great Jesus is and then all the world will see it. But in the middle of that, Jesus is going to say to his people, well done, good and faithful servants. The King of Kings, the one Revelation tells us will be called faithful and true as he's drawing it all up to finish will commend his people for their service. For they will have been faithful. That is the fruit of the Spirit in God's people. So here's my my final words. Commend yourself to the Master. Be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a wonderful and a wonderfully faithful God. Father, whether we see it today or not, whether we see it in every area and every moment of our histories, we believe that you are faithful. We see it because we see Jesus. And Father, as we see your faithfulness, we're aware that so often we are faithless. Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us for where we have not loved you, for where we have been like that adulterous wife, longing after 
other things and other gods. The Father shows again how wonderful you are, draws back to yourself, and continue to be at work through your Spirit, producing faithfulness in us. Let it be a mark of our, our community, our church family, that we are faithful to one another. Father, let that be seen. Let it stand out in our world. That's a great and beautiful thing. And let us be able to point people to the, the source of this fruit. The God who is at work in his world. Father, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. He who is faithful and true. Amen.